Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. And James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is the word of our Lord. Well, we have two sermons left in this forgiveness series, and... Today's sermon deals more with a pound of cure than an ounce of prevention. Next week's sermon will look at that remarkable story of Joseph who modeled how to forgive someone who has hurt you deeply. Experts in the field of communication say that that the words in communication that you use actually comprise a relatively small percentage of communication itself. That things like body language, the tone of your voice, the nonverbals, your posture, those kinds of things comprise, in some cases, up to 93% of communication. This is why you've had that inevitable experience of having sent or received a text that someone totally misunderstood. If, if communications experts are right, and if communications is so much uh, what uh, the tone uh, with which something is said, then text and email uh, are at best about 10% effective. Think about that. At best, they are about 10% effective. And so we uh, have so much competition today with this thing called listening. Uh, We do. Uh, Those who are sitting down front have mastered, we might say, the art of playing a video game, talking to somebody on the game while texting on their phone and answering a question from their parents. Am I right? You guys do this on a regular basis. You'll be on your game. Mom or dad steps in. Phone is here. Two or three people are in somewhere out wherever they're playing. And all of this is going on at once. Back in the days, television was the big competition. Now the screen in front of you, a foot from you, and the screen on the wall are both now competition in your marriage because you've got that screen, this screen, she has her screen, and uh, so uh, we have become a group of people who don't uh, really know perhaps how to listen. It was on mine and Wendy's honeymoon that I was uh, having my quiet time in the book of James. In James 1.19, I came across that morning. But this you know, my brothers, everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That morning over breakfast, I said to Wendy, I really think that God has given me this verse for the first year of our marriage and that this should be our uh, verse for year one. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
and slow to anger. And so when we got home, we went to our fridge and we put that verse on our fridge. And for the first year of our marriage, we sought to live by that one simple verse, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so it is that the sermon today comes from those three commands from James 1. James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. Uh, short, uh, pithy, wise sayings populate the book of James as they do the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. And so let's look at them. First one, be quick to hear. That word quick means swift. It is the only time the word occurs in the New Testament. And what is characteristic of James is that he coins more than one word or phrase. Uh, If you have ever gone through the seven habits of highly effective people, this would equate to seek first to understand and then to be understood. Be quick to hear. As part of my first master's degree, I had to take a semester-long course on listening. One entire course for an entire semester on how to listen. I remember when I saw that I had to sign up for it, and I did sign up for it. I thought, what in the world are we going to do for an entire semester learning how to listen? But I soon discovered that listening doesn't come natural to most of us, maybe to all of us. It doesn't come natural. It is a skill to be developed, and indeed, for that entire semester, we worked on the skill. So I went looking this week or last week when I did this sermon, I discovered an online listening evaluation. All right, so here's some, here's some tests of you, depending on your world. To be more productive, I respond to emails and instant messages while I'm speaking to people on the phone. All right, some of you do that. Maybe I should say some of us do that. Here's a good one. I repeat points back during a conversation to clarify my understanding of what the other person is saying. It's a good thing to do. When people speak to me about sensitive subjects, I make an effort to put them at ease. I feel uncomfortable with silence in a conversation. If that is you and you feel you have to fill in the silence, you may need to work on your listening skills. As I listen, I compare the other person's viewpoint with my own. That means you're not listening. If you're just waiting to give your answer, you're not listening, right? To get people to elaborate on their point, I ask open questions. When someone is speaking to me, I nod and say things like, okay, occasionally. I catch myself asking leading questions to encourage the other person to agree with my viewpoint. That's most of uh, political television. I interrupt people. When people speak to me, I stay completely still so that I don't distract them. I try to read the other person's body language as I listen. How about this? If the other person is struggling to explain something, I jump in with my own suggestions If I'm busy, I let others talk to me as long as they're quick. (laughs) So I took that and I scored okay in the category, meaning I could definitely use some improvement. 
Years ago, someone ran an ad in a Houston paper that they would sit and listen for an hourly wage. That's what they said they would do. This was years ago, and it was only $5 an hour. And within the day of running that ad, their 40-hour week was filled. They said, I will not offer any advice to you. I will simply sit and I will listen. Talking comes natural. Listening doesn't. Be quick to hear. Secondly, be slow to speak. Measure your words. Words are powerful. Again, the word slow. This is the only time and in the next statement that it occurs in the, in the Bible. In This is it. And it comes from the word stupid. That's what it comes from. So what in the world is James? This is hyperbole. He's, he's using really a, a dramatic word for effect. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say that we should be such good listeners that we're almost stupefied as the other person is talking to us. We should be such good listeners that we're so zeroed in that everything else is out. The best medical doctors you've ever been to get this. They don't assume. They ask good questions. They sit and they listen. I, through the years, have have tried to develop this as a parent, both with Hannah and with Trent. They talk in different ways about different things. And Trent, or any teenager, if you ask them a closed question, that's all you get, right? How was your day? Good. Do you have your homework? Yes. And uh, you could throw in a question like, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's absurd, and they would just give you a one-word answer. Why? Because that's what they're zeroed in on. And so these open-ended questions... He said, well, Jerry, this is so practical. This just seems uh, not theological at all. Uh, But it is. If you look at the most profound, there are two profound examples of listening. Uh, One is God the Father, and the other is God the Son. And let's deal with God the Father. When Adam and Eve blew it, do you realize what he did? Let me read it. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They've eaten the fruit, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, I know what you've done. Is that what he said? No. But the Lord God called to the man and said, I know where you are. Is that what he said? No. Did he know what they had done? Did he know where they were? Then why did he ask? If he knew what they had done, and if he knew where they were, why did he ask? For the purpose of a dialogue, a conversation between him, their father, and they, his kids. And so he said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? 
Had they? Yes or no? Did he know it? Yes or no? Why did he ask? You've got to look at God the Father interacting with his kids and both his parents in this room and his people who lead, many of you lead other people. There is something to be learned here. There is something to be learned here. You say, I, I, I share often that being right is not all it's cracked up to be. That you may be right, but you need to hold back until there's an appropriate ear to listen to your rightness. To listen to what you already know to be true. Here are the questions. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit and I ate. All right, thus ensues the first blame game in all of history, and it hasn't stopped, amen? It hasn't. Now, if God doesn't have a conversation, there are two things missing in your world and in theirs. Number one, by his question, they confess their sin out loud. Did you see that? Adam walks right into the trap, doesn't he? Well, it's her fault. He, his question reveals Adam's heart. And it's one thing for me to call out sin in someone's life. I do it every single week in my office. It is my task as a pastor to speak truth into people's lives. It's what God has called me to do. But it is another thing for me to ask a question in such a way. So as somebody answers it by admitting their own sin, it's something about hearing it out loud that is powerful, isn't it? And so, so Adam says, it's her fault. And indirectly says, it's your fault, God. Did you get that? Look at his statement. The woman you gave to me. <laughs> I was good till she came along. Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, God, you, you did, a, did a great job out here till her. And the woman you gave to me. Look at this. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what, did it, what is it that you have done? The woman said, well, it's his fault. The serpent deceived me and I ate. That indeed, that indeed revealed their hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? There is an answer from God. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. All right, let's think for a moment. According to Jeremiah 17, 9, we can't understand our own hearts. If that is the case, guess what? You can't understand your neighbor's heart for sure. If you struggle to know your own, then when you speak before you listen, and you judge before you know, and you assess before you've asked, then certainly you cannot know theirs. It is so presumptuous of us to, to be quick to speak before we're quick to hear, isn't it? We do not know. 
We do not know what the other person is going through. As a matter of fact, again, back to Stephen Covey, when he describes this habit of seek first to understand and then be understood, he talks about his experience on that train. One Sunday morning, he boarded a train. And as he boarded the train, he was sitting there, and there was a dad with four, three or four kids running around. He said the dad seemed oblivious to the fact that there were other people on the train and these kids were disrupting all the other people on the train. He just seemed oblivious to that. Finally, Covey said, I stepped in and stepped over and said, sir, do you realize that your kids are creating quite a ruckus and there are so many other people on the train here, they're disrupting them. And he said the man just kind of shook his head so as to shake himself out of a fog and said, oh, oh, you must be right. We just left the hospital where they discovered that their mother has just died. I wasn't thinking. Covey said that one statement changed everything in my assessment of this man and his kids and them running around and disrupting everyone. And for the next few months, I even got engaged in that man's life and did what I could to help. That's the reality. Be quick to hear and so to speak, slow to speak. If God who searches our hearts and knows them still asks and listens, how much more should we? I would say to you, this is powerful in marriage. If you'll ask more questions than statements you make, this is powerful in parenting. It is powerful at work. It is powerful in your life group. This is powerful if you're a ministry leader. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. The same word slow shows up here. The contrast between quick and slow cannot be more pronounced. They're just on opposite ends of the spectrum. This doesn't mean that we should never get angry. Anger is justified at times. That's where Proverbs 19.11 comes in. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Please hear me. We are a sensitive culture. Hypersensitive culture. It it, it is remarkable our low limit of offense these days. This is in corporate America. This is everywhere. Uh, It is the smallest thing that elicits the greatest response these days. When the book, The Highly Sensitive Person, has sold more than a million copies We might be a highly sensitive culture. You can go do your own evaluation of your own sensitivity, your own heightened sensitivity. And some things, they just make sense. Yeah, all of us could be sensitive to those things. But then there are other things. You look at the list and go, why would that bother anyone? That's just life. Those things are just life. For example, if you are made uncomfortable by loud noises, you might be highly sensitive. No, you're just human. 
all of us are uncomfortable almost by loud noises. We don't enjoy them, do we? Or unexpected interruptions. So some of you may not realize that Earl and Joy Pyatt live here on campus. All right, so they live in a garage apartment behind the house. And the other night I left something here and had to come get it. So I pull up in the Jeep, I come into the office, put all the codes in, grab what I need to grab. I come out, I just left the door open in the Jeep. I come out and I, and the door's open in the Jeep and I'm walking down, I'm walking out when all of a sudden I hear a voice. And the voice said, how's it going down there? I jumped out of my skin. I thought, God is here. Like he has tracked me down and he has called me out and here I am, right? And I look up and Earl is just leaning out his window looking down at me with that gray head. And I'm like, you just freaked me out. And he was rolling. He was rolling, right? He was, it was hilarious. It was a hilarious moment. He had heard my car. His, the reason they stay here is for the park and just to make sure things are good on this campus. That's why they're here. And he had heard me and he was doing his due diligence, right? To check in on things and make sure things were good. Highly sensitive are we so in our culture that we cannot anymore handle the normalcy and we have gotten to the place that we cannot overlook anything, it seems. Proverbs 19.11 says at times that it is glory to overlook an offense. It is glory to overlook an offense. Peter echoes this when he writes, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Max Lucado pictures this like this. He says in one of his books, Suppose that you have friends over, and there's a stain on your carpet where your three-year-old inadvertently spilled something. When these friends come over, do you walk them over to where the stain is, and do you say to them, Hey, yeah, that's, that's where little Tommy spilled something when he was three. Such a loser. No, we don't do that. We don't. Has it ever occurred to you that as the parent of your kids, you know the worst about them and you still love them? Has that ever occurred to you as the husband of your wife or the wife of your husband that you know the worst about them, but you wouldn't dare go announce that in this room, would you? No, why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers, not covers up. Those are two different things, aren't they? Love covers a multitude of sins. Oh, it may be exposed in your world. It may be known and you process and you deal, but you don't dare go out and shame your husband or shame your wife or humiliate your kids. Why? You love them. Above all. Keep loving one another earnestly. Why does it say earnestly? Because loving others is hard work. Amen? 
It's hard. It's not always easy to love. What this isn't is covering up. We discovered last week there are three responses to anger to repress it, suppress it, or express it. And so expression is right every time. The reality is that everything, though, must not be expressed to everyone. That's the point. I'm afraid that our heart is too hard and our skin is too thin. I'm afraid our hearts are too hard and our skin is too thin. We need softer hearts and thicker skin. You say, why? In any context of a growing church, there will be sinners who will enter. We dealt with this last week. We will struggle. The more transparent we become as a life group, just expect it, right? You're going to hear the nitty-gritty, the ugly, the dirty, the whatever. So when do you go to someone who has offended you? Let me offer a simple evaluation process. Number one, pray. Pray. S.D. Gordon says you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Pray. Pray first. Take it to God. Get his wisdom, his insight. Number two, hit the pause button. Hit the pause button. I think the readily available communication of text makes this so tempting, doesn't it? You can shoot a text when, and they'll get it whenever they get it. Whereas, you know, back in the old days when you, when you had to pick up the phone and call somebody, that novel idea of, uh, of a phone call, you know, where you, you uh, had to wait until you were available even. You couldn't do it in the car. It gave you time to think. That time is gone. And how many of you have sent the text only to think, if I could just pull that back, I'd love to. Pause. Uh, the question, does what was said or happened rise to the level of a confrontable offense? Three, if you must go, go with listening ears. Leave your angry mouth behind. Go with listening ears. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense I said there are two major events in the uh, Bible where, where God mimics this. One is the garden. The second is God the Son on the cross. What does Jesus do on the cross? He, he listened. There was some bantering going back and forth. Do you realize that? From the man on his left and the man on his right. Has it ever occurred to you that, that they were communicating one with another? The man on his left, the man on his right. They're having a conversation. And Jesus is listening. And they're talking about him. 
And one is saying he's an idiot, and the other is saying, no, 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 no. No, he's God's guy. He's not an idiot. This is God's guy. And this conversation is going back and forth. And Jesus inserts himself in the conversation and looks at that uh, thief who was repentant and says, today you will be with me in paradise. He could have ignored him, but he chose to forgive him in his unbelievably painful moment the Romans have nails and hammer and Jesus words to them are the same father forgive them because they don't know what they're doing What did Jesus do? He covered the criminal with his blood. You see, this word covering is rich. It is where we get our word atonement. The word atone simply means to cover. When you, in the right way, not cover up, but cover another's offense, you are mimicking the covering of the blood of Christ on your own sins. You become someone whose sins have been atoned for, whose sins have been covered, whose transgressions have been forgiven, cast into the depths of the sea, never to be remembered against you anymore, cast as far as the east is from the west so that no one anywhere can know your sin because Jesus himself has covered it with his blood and you become a covering Christian, one who seeks others who are lost in their sin and communicates to them the covering of the blood of Christ himself. Oh, that we at Grace become a covering community to where that when sin is exposed around a table in a life group or in a men's group or in a one-on-one conversation, when sin is exposed in a counseling room, it isn't spread abroad, but rather covered by the great grace of God in that context of counseling, in that context of grace and mercy. I would submit to you the best marriages in this room aren't perfect ones, but covered ones. I would submit to you the best friendships you have aren't perfect, but they're covered. The best parenting relationships you have, they're not perfect either. They're covered. Somehow we've lost that. Many of you know I I grew up old school. And, uh, well, I was... Preparing this song, our team is going to come, or this sermon, this old hymn came to my mind. It may surprise you that we would close the sermon with such a hymn. Eugene Bartlett wrote it. He was a hymnist of the old southern type. 
He wrote 800 hymns. He was quite successful until in 1939 he had a massive stroke that left him bedridden. And it was in his bedridden state that he wrote what became his most well-known hymn. I grew up with a red hymnal that just said hymnal on the front in case we didn't know that's what it was we sang everything i still have those numbers memorized out of that red hymnal of where many of those songs are and this old hymn says i heard an old old story how the savior came from where church glory How he gave his life on Calvary to save a what? A wretch. Like who? Me. You guys are so old. (laughs) I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing. But it's at the end of the chorus where he talks. He plunged me. It's a fascinating image, isn't it? He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood of his blood. In other words, he covered me. He he covered me. If you belong to him today, you're covered by his blood. If you do not, oh, would you come and receive that? Alan Michael is here. Adrian is here. They'd love to to talk with you. They'd love to pray for you as you give your life to Christ. Let's stand and let's sing. We're old school, bluegrass old school right now. All right, you ready? All right, sing it out, church. Great old hymn.